Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It was the best of time. It was the worst. She was the people's princess. Little fight on the beaches. Oh, hey, man. These are the things that made England. Little fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and evil woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England, too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St. George! These are the things that made England. Episode two of The Things That Made England uh, really stands as an episode that um, not only am I proud of, but really speaks to how I view this podcast series. That for me, the England that I know is the post-war England, the England where some 13% of the population looks like me. So in episode two, I proposed that Scar was one of the things that made England for a very brief period at the end of the 1970s to the early 1980s, there's a flowering of uh, a music which was actually born in Jamaica. But in the second wave, it took on the forms of England and denoted a multicultural post-war society, which was very different from one that had gone before. I did a presentation on Scar on Clubhouse this week. I recorded it and here it is. It bears some of the same tenets of the show which I did on episode 2 of the podcast but with added scar for your delectation. I hope you enjoy it. I will freely admit, good people, that when it comes to the detailed biography of the artists who uh, make up the genre of scar, I'm utterly no expert and talk for hours on, let's say, Desmond Decker. I can't do that. But what I can do is talk about the sociological importance of this genre of music because it's incredibly important on the road to Britain from from being a monoculture to being a fully-fledged multicultural country which isn't always at ease with its newfound self but has embraced it in many ways. 
So, racial diversity is one of the many facets which separates England from the other parts of the United Kingdom. Whilst the UK's white population totals 55 million, or 87%, and this is according to the 2011 census, just under 13%, or over 7.5 million, are non-white. So, and over 90% of all British ethnic minorities live in England. So, not Wales, not Scotland, not Northern Ireland. And most of them can be found in cities such as Birmingham, my hometown, London, Leicester, Luton, Manchester, Wolverhampton, Bradford, Coventry, Leeds, Watford. It's the arrival of the first mass wave of non-white immigrants into England in 1948, which is where this story fundamentally starts. And it's on a ship called the Empire Windrush. And it's that wave of Caribbean men which really starts modern post-war England. Previous to that, this is almost uniformly a white country. Here we are now, 2021, and the United Kingdom, or let's say England, because it's really what we're talking about here today. England is a country which is comfortable enough to say that its favourite dish, its national dish, isn't fish and chips, it's actually chicken tikka masala, because of these waves of immigration. And where Jafakan has probably displaced Cockney as a dialect of the capital's children. It's always interesting when I speak to Americans and they do a cod British accent. They kind of sound a bit like Dick Van Dyke. And they do a way of speaking, which nobody in London actually speaks like. The, the London accent has been profoundly changed by these waves of, of immigration. So this is fundamentally a story of two nations, England and Jamaica. We have Jamaican immigrants going to England in mass numbers in 1948 to rebuild the country after the devastation that the Luftwaffe wrought in the Second World War. They're asked by the UK government to come and to rebuild the motherland. At that point, the British Empire is still controls a third, a quarter of the globe. India is only just getting its independence. Canada is still a dominion, Australia, ditto, and whole swathes of Africa and the Caribbean are part of the British Empire. What this means is that if you are a citizen or a subject of the British Empire, you have free movement of travel to the mother country. This is incredibly important. So with the government saying, come, the imperial government saying, come and rebuild the country, lots of Young West Indian men came, suitcase in hand, got on the Empire Windrush in 1948. At that point in the Caribbean, there's a certain level of self-government. These are still nominally parts, nominally parts of the British Empire, but they all have internal self-government. But these countries are proud to be British, proud to be part of the British Empire. So it's one of the maybe great anomalies for people when you look at the Jamaican head of state, the head of state even now, 2021, is the Queen of England, a white woman with a magical crown on her head. And that in part goes to understand the feeling of loyalty that these first immigrants had when they went to the United Kingdom. This was their home. 
They weren't treated with that respect, however. Back in the Caribbean, the Caribbean islands, specifically Jamaica, the largest of the British colonies, gets ready for independence. And independence comes in 1962. On the run-up to independence, a new form of music is moulded in the island of Jamaica. It has its roots in a music called Mento, which is very similar to soca music, calypso music. And probably the best exponent of Mento would be Harry Belafonte. But for those that don't know what Mento is... So this music mento is kind of indigenous to the British kind of Caribbean, specifically Jamaica. And as I said, it has, its, it has a sister, it has a brother in the music of the Eastern Caribbean, which becomes uh, soca or, or calypso. Very, very, very musical, um, but with a very simple rhythm. But by the end of the 1950s, um, with the launch of global youth culture from America, Jamaican DJs are playing um, rhythm and blues. So by the end of the 1950s, somebody like Fats Domino, one of the biggest artists in Jamaica. I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill on Blueberry Hill when I found you you have DJs who are going out and creating a thing called sound systems. And sound systems will be incredibly important in not only the dissemination of Jamaican music, this new form of Jamaican music, Scar, which is going to be produced, but also in creating hip-hop in about another 15 years' time. So what these first sound system DJs do is to meld Mento, this light, musical, Jamaican form, with the sensibility of rhythm and blues, which is from America. And what they do to create these parties is to get large sound, large speakers, wire them up outside in, in Kingston and play them to the masses. Through that uh, form of music, we get not only ska, but we're going to get toasting or rap. This way of creating music, playing music loudly to a, an impromptu audience is going to totally revolutionize world music. Jamaica at the time is the most prosperous of the British colonies in, in the Caribbean and it gets independence first and there's a real sense of exuberism that this island is going to take its place in the sun and that exuberism is also writ large in its music. Everybody's excited about independence. It's going to be the first of the Caribbean islands 
to throw off the British yoke. So, so, so an artist like Derek Morgan's Forward March is incredibly important. It talks of freedom, and it's one of the first ever ska records, or the Scatterlight's Freedom Sound. Freedom Sound has all the hallmarks of ska. So what we have is the punctuated ska, 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 the kind of chopping up of the guitar, which is where the genre gets its name. It's a ska sound. It has horns. It has a kind of walking bass, which is very redolent of blues. This sound is incredibly infectious. It's fast and it just forces people to dance. Remember I said that we have now a large population of Jamaicans outside of Jamaica. This music is forged in Jamaica, but it scores its biggest international hit in 1964 with this hit. Now, Millie Spall, I think she was about 16 when she first sings this. She's spotted by Chris Blackwell. This is actually a reworking of an earlier R&B, rock and roll, sorry, uh, record from the mid-1950s. But all of a sudden, because you have Jamaicans, not only in the island of Jamaica, but in the United Kingdom, in the US, and also in Canada, this is going to be an international hit. And it speaks to the exuberance, the pride that Jamaicans have in their new formed national music. Remember we talked about the kind of elements of ska. We have the up, the upbeat skank, skank, skank guitar. We have horns. We have this walking bass line. Key to understanding the popularity of this music is fundamentally its simplicity. It's ultimately party music. 
That track is bubblegum pop with a Jamaican sensibility. It can only have been produced by Jamaicans, but it feels so incredibly uh, fresh and epiphescent. And it didn't matter that this was fundamentally a white Jamaican producer, Chris Blackwell, and a young Jamaican girl who put this together. Everybody, the whole world could understand this song meant a good time. This song, which is released in 1964, goes to number two in the UK singles charts and number two in the US Billboard Hot 100. And it sells initially over 600,000 copies in the UK alone and is incredibly popular with British mods. This is going to be really significant with how the genre is going to develop. So we have Scar. It's emblematic with an idea of independence exuberance and with and fun but also is incredibly accessible so you have uh, white mods who uh, if you if you think to the 1960s classically what a mod is somebody wears a three-button suit a thin tie it's incredibly smart way of dressing with straight trousers they are getting off on jamaican music a subculture of them is now dancing to scar and they start to identify with this new Jamaican music. One of the earliest ska artists is going to be a certain Robert Lester Marley. One section of white British youth are listening to this Jamaican music by people like uh, the Whalers or Tony Tribal, Lauren Aitken, and they start to ape the way that the Western immigrants dress. And the way the West immigrants dressed was very utilitarian. They wore big boots, Dr. Martin boots, because um, they were um, relatively cheap, but lasted a long time, long crombie jackets, um, straight trousers and all the wore their braces down. These white working class youth are now dancing to black records, to Jamaican records and aping their way of dress. And the other thing which Jamaican immigrants did was to cut their hair really short. The white kids called themselves skinheads, embracing not only the music of Jamaica, but also the dress of the new Jamaican immigrants in the United Kingdom. The first the first skinheads are incredibly multicultural. And Laurel Aitken is their spiritual godfather. When a skinhead walks down the street, every chick heart skips the beat. When a skinhead walks down the street, every chick heart skips the beat. Uh, 
at that point for West Indian immigrants to be able to go to clubs, nightclubs in, in London or in the UK was, was utterly a rarity. There is racism on the door. So what they're doing is creating their own blues parties, their own parties where they would commandeer somebody's house, clear it all out of the furniture and play their music. Desmond Decker is one of the biggest artists. Get up in the morning slaving for bread, sir. So that every mouth can be fed. But listen, listen to this song. It doesn't feel quite exuberant as before. The rhythms are still there. There still is the eh, eh upbeat, but it's, it's a little bit slower. This is going to be the end of the first wave of ska. And ska is going to become rock steady, which then becomes reggae. of the 1960s in the UK. Ska is a thing of the past. The rhythms that are coming out of Jamaica are noticeably slower. But the first wave of the Jamaican imprint on Britain has been made culturally. Uh, Jamaican artists are getting to the top of the British charts. White working class youth, a section of them has broken off from from, from being uh classed as mods and are now skinheads skinheads who embrace black culture they dress like uh, the black immigrants with their short hair braces fred perry t-shirts crombie jackets so we have the end of the first wave of scar britain in the 1970s is in somewhat of an economic uh, malaise it's called the sick man of europe once at the turn of the century, it had been by far Europe's largest economy. By 1970, Germany's passed it. France has. Even Italy is chopping, at, biting at, at its ankles. And key to this British malaise is a sense of identity. Who are we now? We don't even have an empire. The pop charts at the time, just like they are in America, are dominated by by acts which are hardly subversive. We've got M.O.R. Rock by the middle of the 1970s with the unemployment rate starting to skyrocket. We have a most British solution to this malaise. I am an anarchist. Don't know what I want. 
punk is going to completely and utterly define the British music in a way which is much more significant than it ever did in the United States. Uh, punk is going to launch a thousand other subgenres of music. But one of the kind of legacies of this uh, irreverent uh, way of uh, creating music is going to be that bands like The Clash embrace the rhythms of Jamaica. Remember we talked about the pattern of migration, where the Jamaican immigrants moved to when they come to the UK. It's to the large cities. They went to the large cities because that's where the jobs were. They moved to my hometown. My parents moved to Birmingham in the early 1960s because Birmingham at that point, the GDP, the household income, sorry, of Birmingham was actually higher than London. The Jamaican immigrants, they moved to London, they moved to Coventry, they moved to these towns to take up manufacturing jobs. Incredibly important as to what's going to happen next. So we have the energy of punk, you know, the kind of M.O.R. sensibility of music is ripped up and thrown away. Everybody feels they can just get up and create music. And we have now a first generation of black Brits, of black English people who... Yes, they have Jamaican parents, but they're brought up in Britain and they're infused by this punk sensibility too. In Coventry, a small city just outside of Birmingham, the population about a quarter of a million, a group called the Specials get together. And the Specials were kind of formed in 1977, so at the height of punk. And they symbolise this new Britain, which is black and white. And they start a revolution which is going to become two-tone. Now, listen to how fast that is compared to the Jamaican uh, scar of just uh, 15 years beforehand. It completely meets punk in the middle with, with the skank, skank, skank upbeat of Jamaican music, of Jamaican scar. You look at this, you look at the specials and it was white guys with black guys. Hence, we have two-tone. That's what the, this second wave of scar becomes colloquially known, two-tone after the record label. All the images are of people who are either black or white, completely in relief to each other. This is, an, this is a visible expression of a new Britain, a new England, which is comfortable with it in its skin. Two, five. 
what they sing about is just everyday stuff. And and some of it is incredibly meaningful and gritty because Britain is going through a massive depression. By the end of the 1970s, one in 10 Britons are actually out of work. It's this economic dislocation which leads to a radical political solution, which is Margaret Thatcher and Thatcherism. So Coventry is really where, it really is at the cockpit of this new musical genre. And the specials, in many ways, are the godfathers of this new form of ska, two-tone ska, which has the energy of punk, but with the rhythms of Jamaica. Birmingham, my hometown, has a large, sizable non-white population by this time, gives birth to the beat. Birmingham doesn't really get its due when it comes to how important it's going to be in kind of post-war British music. When you speak to Brits or Americans and you, and you say name a, a UK city uh, which is synonymous with music, you'll probably get Liverpool because of the Beatles or you might get Manchester and, and the Smiths. The influence of Jamaican immigration to, to Birmingham is pretty large. If we take um, heavy metal and put that to one side. So let's forget Ozzy Osbourne for now. But UB40 comes from Birmingham. Steel Pulse hail from Birmingham. And UB40, even though they're not a two-tone band, have the very sensibility of two-tone. They uh, they look backwards in and they pay homage to a whole treasure trove of Jamaican music. And as a band, they are black and white. This new wave of music two-tone is very male dominated in large part but there are some notable exceptions the body snatchers and selector selector hail from Coventry. So that is Pauline Black, the lead singer of the group Selector, who also hailed from Coventry. I can't overestimate how not only infectious, but actually how this form of music was go- is going to go on for two years to dominate the British pop charts. 
The specials had something like seven consecutive top 40 hits. Madness, a group we're going to come on to next, have 15. Uh, The selector don't have quite as many as that. But all of a sudden, the pop charts are dominated by this fast, infectious British music. It can only be forged in Britain because because of immigration. And it speaks to a time when there is a certain level of racial tension on the streets of Britain. In London, two-tone is a little bit different. The most successful two-tone band is a group called Madness who hail from Camden in London. Don't watch that. Watch this. This is the heavy, heavy monster sound. The nuttiest sound around. So if you're coming up the street and you're beginning to feel the heat, well, listen, buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockiness, rock steady beat of madness. One step beyond. Madness are going to go on to maybe have the the longest really kind of active career of all of the uh, two-tone and ska bands in this second wave and actually go through musically the biggest journey. I never thought I'd miss you half as much as I do. By the time that that song comes out, It Must Be Love, almost the two-tone revival is over. And you can hear there isn't heavy accent on that, eh, eh, and it's actually a much slower record. But even then, you can still hear the kind of the pulsating beat of of Jamaica with that bass line. This is actually more white reggae than it is actually ska. And it's not by accident that one of the biggest groups to come out of the UK at the same time is going to be the police, who are the total exponents of taking a reggae sensibility and and making it English. Another band, which is uh, really synonymous with the scene, is Bad Manners. And Bad Manners are a two-tone band, but have a very, very skinhead sensibility embodied by their lead singer, Bluster Blood Vessel. (laughs) 
By the end of the summer of 1981, this kind of two-year crazy domination of the British pop charts by this music is really kind of almost at an end. And one of the songs which is not only synonymous with with the genre, but is seen as kind of emblematic of kind of noting that end is a track called Ghost Town by The Specials. Remember, the specials are really the group which kind of kicks off this genre. They're, they're from commentary. And Britain is at its lowest point since the Second World War at this point. Margaret Thatcher has been the Prime Minister for two years. More than one in ten Brits are out of work. There are race riots throughout all major cities, and they pen this song. So that classically is the last Scar song in the two-tone genre which gets to uh, be number one in the British charts. It's an amazing flowering of creativity which denotes this new multicultural, multi-ethnic, urban Britain. Bands around this genre go on to have incredible international success kind of mentioned them before but UB40 they're not a, a two-tone ska band they always did reggae and initially they penned their own songs but it are very much embracing of this diverse new British English sensibility they are Irish Moroccan Jamaican and English the 1980s is going to be the decade where British popular music is forever in the shadow of this 24-month explosion of where punk meets Jamaica. White British youth embrace black music in a way that um, has never really been rolled back in the United Kingdom. And Scar, even though it never hits the, the utter headlines, you don't have 
um, week after week where the number one hit is another SCAR record. It's another SCAR record. And I remember personally, my dad had never been more proud. And he said to me, son, we've arrived. We've, we've been accepted. They, they like our music. My father was incredibly proud that these new bands of which Madness were completely white were uh, paying homage and reverence to the music of, of his culture, of his island. And he saw it as a mark of acceptance. And he wasn't the only one. Britain is never going to be the same again. England is never going to be the same again. And is it a racial utopia? Absolutely not. But this exuberant flowering of this music says that these people are here to stay and their children are here to stay. And the rhythms which might have been forged in other bits of the world are now as English as fish and chips. So I give you a scar, one of the most influential pieces of popular culture, which signposts a brand new Britain. There you go. Uh, so um, any questions, brothers are here. Um, Patrick, Jehun, LJ, Moose, Amina, nice to meet you, Amina. Nice to see you, sorry, Amina. Ab, it's always good to have you on the stage. Uh, Norm, um, if you're in the audience, feel free to hold your hand up and come up. Um, we actually have my son who's in the audience lurking. It's nice to see Noah. He sent me a message and said, Dad, is this really live? And I went, yes, this is really live, son. It's really good of you to stop by, Noah. And I, and I know a few of you have heard my son's music before because I do play it on occasion on Clubhouse. Jonathan, you held your hand up. I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciated that. That was fantastic. You did such a great job. That was like like listening in on a wonderful music documentary. I really appreciated what you just did there. Jonathan, uh, thank you for that. I'm a podcaster. It's kind of what I do. It, I was a little bit slightly fingers and thumbs because I, I am doing this live and some of my transitions weren't great and whatever. But I have, I, this is what I do. And I've done a couple of podcasts about Scar. And I think it's just so incredibly important. Um, one thing which I didn't say in the presentation, which is so, so, so important. We talked about skinheads and how the original skinheads are not the skinheads of the 1970s and beyond, which are, we associate them with right wing fascism and with racism. The original skinheads are completely the opposite. You know, they're embracing of these new immigrants and their culture and dress like them. And that's one of the ironies of skinheads is they dressing like Jamaican immigrants. You know, the skinheads who we think as have been kind of right-wing fascists. This is such um, an important pivot point in, in, in British history, in English history. I keep on saying British. I've got to say this is in English. This happens in English cities, not in Scottish or Welsh or, or Irish. And what it does is it creates this euphoria where white working class men dance to, to this day if you're in Britain and you want to get a party started you put on a scar record and your old uncle will get up and he will just like you know waggle his arms like a duck and he's off he's having fun this is instant party music and because it's seen as party music a lot of academics don't realize what a serious social thing we actually noted in two-tone it's a form of music which I will always talk about and say that it really does mark post-war Britain. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.